Hello and welcome to session 22 of New Method. Hello, welcome to session 22. It's the end of the year, it's December. Uh, Umatter is actually two years old. I started in January 2021. So I've got to the second end of my second year of podcasting. And I thought in this episode, it would be lovely to do a bit of a end of year Christmas uh, podcast roundup. About this time of year in general life, I like to have a little bit of a look back. Uh, you can go through a whole year, uh, not really considering too much about what's gone on you just just keep going don't you? you you deal with what comes up you fight the fires you make plans you carry out plans you move on you make more plans for next year and I uh, in recent years have really appreciated the value of taking some time to look back take stock and crucially remind myself the really good things I guess it's a version of um, gratitude looking back reminding myself what was good and, and saying a big thank you for it. So this is the You Matter podcast version of gathering up the year, looking back, reminding myself what we did and, and saying thank you. I hope you enjoy it. I hope it might inspire you perhaps to um, look back at your own year and, and go through a similar process. But also if you missed any episodes, then I hope this will be uh, perhaps a little, uh, a nice way to give you a summary and maybe you might want to go back revisit or visit for the first time some episodes that you missed. Okay, so let me know as ever your feedback. Uh, yeah, we're really interested to know, uh, firstly, if you enjoy the podcast, but also your reflections on, on what we've done this year, uh, on the episodes that we've carried out, highlights for you, anything that you might want us to, to continue with next year, change next year, improve next year. Let me know what you think. Okay, so here we go. As I say, this is a resume of UMATA 2022, gathering up the year. And if you're watching this on YouTube, if you're watching the video anyway, you'll see that I'm here in my kitchen with the messy whiteboard behind me. Uh, the dog is around somewhere. I expect he'll probably ask to go out at some point or bark. I expect the postman will come. Life will happen. And that's exactly as it should be for this episode because this is just me sitting with you taking a look back at the year just gone and um, having a bit of a, a chat and a reflect really. So I've given myself some notes because we've got a whole 12 episodes to look back and summarise and, and think about. And I'd love to say I remember everything about every episode but the certainly the early years the memory's a little bit hazy so I've written some notes about um, what went on in each episode. Gonna gonna go with it and 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 see what see what comes back into my mind when I think about the episodes that we did. So back in January, I interviewed physiotherapist Helen McClellan. And, um, the podcast notes say that Helen described her career transition from occupational health physio to business owner, and how she finally was finally ready to describe herself as a full-time entrepreneur. Now, my reflections on this conversation were uh, what a brave individual Helen is. Um, if you listen to the podcast in detail, you'll hear about uh, some significant 
life and health challenges that Helen underwent uh, prior to this big career transition. And, you know, like for many people, it was a series of events that caused her to stop, take stock, really look at what was important to her in life and in the context of her work, really look at whether what she was doing was exactly she, what she wanted to be doing and if the way she was doing it was how she wanted things to be for the remainder of her, remainder of her career, however long that's going to be. Um, and what I liked very much about Helen's description was the, the mixture of um, humility and confidence, I think. So Helen is an extremely accomplished and experienced therapist. She, in a, in a very humble way, acknowledges her experience, not just her clinical experience, but the experience she has of um, supporting people that work with her, for her, um, the number of clinical environments she's been in, the number of different level positions. So she strikes me as someone who is um, very happy to acknowledge where she is at and, and her worth as a clinician and as a person, but also humble enough to, to be curious, um, and to be willing to admit that a lot of the time she is experimenting even now, and you know, she has an extremely successful business or designed to move, that was the thing she, um, she moved into um, most recently, but she, She's still curious. She's never someone, I don't think, that is going to say, oh, I've got this thing licked or, or even this is the, the last iteration of me and my um, professional life and my, my business. She just seems to be someone who is confident enough and secure enough of her abilities and her talents to give things a go, but humble enough to stay curious and keep developing. Um, and if, yes, if you listen to the podcast, she describes a lovely process of sitting down in her lounge with a huge bit of paper and pretty much just writing on post-it notes all the things she'd ever done, all the things she was good at, all the things she enjoyed, which actually is a fantastic coaching technique, um, and moved things around until she was happy that she had got a combination of those things that felt comfortable. and then designed a new business around maximizing those things and crucially really the, the bits that she enjoyed and the result has been an extremely successful business with a fantastic mission to help people with long-term injuries live more fulfilling lives and over the course of time I've also come across some of the clinicians that work for and with Helen and, and I know it's it's an amazing place to be both as a, a recipient and deliverer of care. So that was January. Yeah, I guess my my big take home from that one is, um, yeah, the point at which you might finally be ready to describe yourself as a an entrepreneur or anything else really. You know, for me, as I say, it was that that combination of confidence in your abilities and the humility to stay curious. So in February. I recorded an episode with the lovely Felicity Bell, who had approached me to ask if I would be happy for her to come and talk about embracing failure. 
it's a very brave thing to do because we don't like to do that, do we? We like to, um, well, we, we like to talk about our failures in a kind of, I think, a social media friendly way. Um, we'll give just about enough away to show that we're, we're human and yes, we make mistakes. But um, Felicity was talking about, you know, the, the really, the really flat ones, if you like, the ones we really are genuinely ashamed of. And um, you know, talking about them doesn't really fill us with joy. Uh, there isn't a kind of way to turn it into some amusing anecdotes. It's, it's those failures that, that really hurt. And I'm sure anyone who's listened to this podcast will remember Felicity's description of, uh, I won't go into detail and <laughs> listen to the podcast, but it's about an Achilles tendon uh, issue, which Felicity describes. And I think anybody listening, any clinician listening um, with any hands of empathy would have been listening and going, well, yeah, okay, it sounds like a biggie, but yeah, I've got two, three, four of those in my career. Good on you for talking about it. Um, it's definitely a scenario that most of us would hope on a, a good day wouldn't happen. And, and goodness, Felicity, um, yeah, there's, she she was so brave because because it wasn't. She used a, a really funny phrase for this, and I can't remember what it was. She described some really complex case uh, in a very amusing way. Just the words, Felicity, very funny, but you know, this wasn't complicated nuanced case she was brave enough to say do you know what this thing turned up in clinic on any other given day I'd have diagnosed it treated it dealt with it fine for whatever reason on this day I missed this thing Um, and I'm human it happens and that's so much braver isn't it than, than saying oh this incredibly complex situation occurred and I happened to miss this tiny little bit, which is awful, isn't it? But obviously not really awful because it speaks to all the other things. She was she was just saying, yeah, on, on some days, for no particular reason that I can explain, um, I don't I don't get the simple things right. And I think a large part of the value of that podcast was just hearing someone hugely respected uh, being willing to to come up and say that. Um, and not try and palm it off or give it some complicated explanation, but just to acknowledge that, yeah, some days the sequence of events that's happened before, the state of mind we're in, the distractions that are going on, the phone call we've just taken, um, the kids' party that we're trying to plan in our head at the same time as treating patients, those things are real and they they make us fallible and we are fallible. We don't want to be fallible every day. We want to try and decrease the number of times we make mistakes. But it's really, really healthy for people like Felicity um, to to share those things and for us to all to all front up and go, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done things like that too. Yeah, yeah, that does happen because we are human. And the other main takeaway from that one was uh, the shame wizard. Felicity asked me if I had heard of. Um, a program, a series called Big Mouth, which I subsequently realised my kids um, could tell me every detail of. They've seen every episode. Um, but there are characters or different emotions in Big Mouth, and one of them is the shame wizard. And the thing with the shame wizard uh, in Big Mouth is that the more you um, talk about the issue, 
Uh, the shameful issue, the shame wizard shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. And if you avoid it and don't talk about it, the shame wizard gets broken. So shame wizard, main takeaway from that. In March, I chatted to my friend and wonderful woman, Dr. Susanna Petchy. So Susanna is an A&E GP um, specialising in the management of trauma. She, since that podcast, she's gone on to develop a course specifically for coaches um, wanting to become more trauma-informed. Um, she's also been involved in trying to influence a shift in some of the nice guidelines around therapies that are recommended when people are um, suffering with the after effects of trauma. Um, yeah, she's, Susanna's doing amazing things in the world of trauma. Very, very dedicated, another very humble clinician, um, someone also very willing to get involved even when she doesn't know doesn't know where the path is leading, wouldn't claim to know everything about the whole situation, but is kind of willing to, to get in there and get her hands dirty and, and try and try and improve things, try and change things. Um, for me personally, Susanna's been a huge support um, as a coach and a clinician for helping me understand the boundaries between the kind of things I can and I can't uh, accommodate provide a listening ear sometimes a little bit of support with where the level is you know which what level of um, psychological emotional um, concern can I hold within a coaching or a treatment session know that it's there um, acknowledge its presence address the issue that I'm that I've been tasked with addressing um, and you know Allow it to be there enough so it's acknowledged, uh, but then also know the, the boundary beyond which I would need to refer on. And that may sound very straightforward. Obviously, we're used to acknowledging other boundaries um, within our, our clinical world about when things go out of our scope of practice and when we need to refer on. I think you know, with mental health uh, and emotional issues, it's a very grey area. There's all sorts of levels to on there there's your own uh, capacity to to hear things to absorb them and to hold them there's your own skill set and to what tools and skills you actually have to address a problem um, and then there's that thing about okay if I do refer on what are the services available you know am I Am I really able to refer on with confidence, knowing that this person is going to get more support? Or do I need to investigate a little bit further? Am, am I sure what's out there? It's, it's, it's very, very easy to know the right answer, uh, the right professional and ethical answer. But we all know, don't we, on the ground, um, it's a much tougher call in that moment when you've got somebody in front of you, um, yes, with a physical problem, if we're talking about the well um, but with but with very clear other needs which to an extent are being addressed as you establish a relationship and trust between you but but calling that that point uh, that you you know that you need to I don't know perhaps draw the patient's attention to the problem initially or if that's and the point at which you need to refer on these things are not straightforward. And I would 
I would really recommend listening to that, that podcast with Susanna if you um if you have any concerns about that and, and maybe even consider looking to courses if it's an area that interests you. Uh, the following month in April, uh, I had a panel follow-up on the session with Felicity um, about failures. So um, I was joined by Katie Stevens, um, a sports therapist, and Martin Christensen, who many of you now know as the um, uh, the forefather of failures <laughs> and the, uh, the the person who formulated the wonderful Facebook group, the Society of Average Physios and Failures. And I think actually I can be confident in crediting Felicity was coming up with that um, uh, that phrase. Uh, it was probably on the previous episode I was talking about where Felicity was talking about being an average physio and, and possibly even a failure and Martin has uh, absolutely taken that and run with it and um, and created this wonderful platform for um, honesty and honesty with a particular brand of humour which I know many of you enjoy if you haven't checked out Martin's Facebook group then go and have a look at that. Um, yeah and Katie was a wonderful guest there, Katie provided some really sort of honest um, and open examples from her world in sports therapy. So, yeah, it was a, the panel discussions are always at my course where um, people yeah, feed off each other. I remember us getting into talking about um, was the process uh, with a patient more important than the outcome? Or could you allow yourself to just develop and enjoy and understand the the benefits of going through the process with a patient um, and just take some of the some of the pressure off them and you with the uh, relaxing your ideas a little bit about the outcome. Yeah, see what you think about that one. That was, that was a comment. Then in May, I interviewed Sue Julians uh, ostensibly about a manuscript, as it was at the time, that Sue had for a book. Uh, the book was at the time called Collateral Damage. That was certainly the, the working title. I, I know Sue, I won't give too much away because this is Sue's story to tell, but I know things have developed in a good way. Um, and Collateral Damage may or may not still be the, the title of the book. But this was Sue's reflection on being a physiotherapist and a clinic owner in central London during the pandemic. Um, she described a beautiful, um, she described beautifully the kind of perfect storm of crisis in her professional life, just through the fact that her business being in central London was one of those that was pretty much decimated overnight. The stress of having to work out the disaster management plan, the guidelines, the finances, furlough, all that kind of stuff that so many of you will have been on one side or other of the fence, but very definitely familiar with. Um, and she talked about the effect on her own family, her children. Um, Sue's got some really, really strong opinions about the, the pros and cons of lockdown um, and, and specifically the effect on her children. But also the things she observed in patients, um, obviously not during lockdown when she wasn't seeing anybody, but the, the kind of behaviour patterns that she observed as people started to emerge and come out of the woodwork. 
Um, my take home, actually, whenever I talk to Sue, is, is her bravery and her willingness to to voice things which are controversial. Sue often, I would say Sue often has a slightly different take on things. And sometimes it can be misinterpreted more controversially than it is. But I, I think Sue is um, somebody with a, a really a really nice brand of honesty, but with the willingness to pick it apart, to back up her own arguments, to listen to others. She specifically Sue is someone who's always willing to give everybody their say genuinely without judgment so yeah the the, the the manuscript stuff is really interesting and great um, but i also find uh, also find conversations and being in sue's presence always a very a very good place to learn and to consider a different approach um, where are we uh, may june um, i then had a an episode with the lovely Emma Brockwell and Grania Donnelly, who many of you will know as the queens of the women's health world and, co and co-hosts of the At Your Service podcast. Um, we collaborated on this one, put on the back of a, another podcast that Emma and Grania had had carried out on, on the At Your Service platform. Um, they were interviewing a couple of women who are part of the Girls Growing Strong um, organization and their conversation was had strayed very much into um, how females support each other or not um, and my ears pricked up because I I always have this thought going on around um, women yes but also uh, in healthcare I think sometimes collaboration is paid a little bit of lip service but in reality, there's a there's a lot of competitive and competitiveness underneath that collaboration. Um, I clearly I can hear myself talking now and realise that I clearly brought some very personal brought some very personal biases into that conversation. Um, but we we talked about the the fact that uh, physio and healthcare does tend to attract people who are used to doing well and like doing well. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. And there's also nothing wrong with being competitive and, and wanting to do well and, and wanting to improve things. But we, we talked in this episode about where the line is as to when that is positive and when it can start to become a little bit toxic. Um, I think we called it uh, collaboration, competition and comparison. Yeah, we had a, a long discussion actually about comparisonitis and how um, we can, if we're not careful, spend an awful lot of time uh, just looking at other people, uh, just looking on Twitter as to what amazing things somebody else has just done, and then finding ourselves uh, lacking if we enter into that comparison process. Um, Martin came back uh, in July um, in a very different sort of way, I think. Um, Martin wanted to come on and talk about his experiences with depression. And I wrote in the, in the notes, Martin is a physiotherapist best known for hilarious one-liners, which is true, beer drinking, and his brave sharing of clinical failures. 
He's also he also suffers with long-term depression. In this episode, Martin talks candidly about his experience of depression, what it means in his daily life as a and as a clinician. Um, and blimey, he did. Uh, this was this was a, a privilege to be able to talk to Martin in this way. Um, I think he's a an individual who, because of maybe his willingness to use humour uh, and then to dip in and out of that, use the humour to make the conversation um, light when it needs to be, he was also able to be extremely honest about the very significant um, struggles he's had with depression. And he talked about that as a child at school, through university and in his physio career. But one thing Martin was very clear of and which came through very strongly was that he didn't want to be known as the depression physio. And I think the the, the real value in this conversation was that Martin was able to describe um, with absolute honesty the extremely difficult times he'd been through and illustrate that you know, he still has difficult times, but he also still functions very well as a physiotherapist, as a dad, as a friend, as a colleague. Um, and the depression is there. He lives with it, but it definitely doesn't define him. And we even talked about some of the ways in which uh, it actually supports his work as a clinician and his understanding of, of uh, patients you know, possibly suffering with similar things. Or, I don't know, just uh, he, he again has a real um, ability to, I think, just leave his ego behind. Um, understand what genuinely is important for the person in front of them. And yeah, there was a, it had a huge, huge number of people listened to that episode and um, had a lot of, we both had a lot of positive feedback, particularly from male clinicians. So that felt like a really important one. Um, following on from that, uh, along a similar vein, I had a panel discussion um, with. Uh, was it four or five male clinicians? And you know, a group of male clinicians, some had to drop out of the end. I can't remember the exact number, but it was sort of a follow-on from the brilliant women episode I'd done back in May. And uh, I invited a panel of men to share their thoughts on what it feels like to be a male clinician today. Um, obviously, that's a huge remit, and we couldn't cover absolutely everything about what it means to be a male clinician today. But um, some things came out very strongly about how welcome is male vulnerability. There was a lot of talk about, again, the fact that there's a lot of lip service to the fact that we want men to be vulnerable, but actually when they are, sometimes there's a bit of fight back or feedback. Um, I know the men, some of the men on this panel had um, not had the greatest experiences with exhibiting vulnerability, but had persisted anyway. That, that was... A really strong message for me that um, you know even though it felt like a challenge the response wasn't always as they would have hoped they were still determined that it was the right path to be open and honest take the mask off um, without without sacrificing masculinity without um, denigrating masculinity um, there was a really touching moment, I think this is my take home from this one, um, where, oh, Rush, sorry, I can't remember your surname, Rush, but 
Rush, lovely chap, clinical clinic owner, um, owns a few clinics, was very, very honest about the fact that he had tried to bring in some absolutely wonderful schemes into his clinics to support the well-being of the people working for him, um, but that his his experience at that time was that it wasn't financially viable. Um, and that's where the phrase, is psychological safety financially viable, came up. By psychological safety, he was referring to making channels available for people to, for clinicians, this is to um, have a space to open up, to be supported, for their needs to be accommodated. Um, but his, his honest reflection at that time was that that faced financial implications on the clinic, which were unsustainable. Um, and all of us just felt uh, extreme admiration for all the efforts he had made to try and put these psychological safety measures in place and, and sadness around the fact that the financial implications of that made it very difficult to keep going with those, those arrangements in place. So there are no answers on that front, no solutions, but um, equally no avoiding of the, the conversation around the difficulties. I think one thing that struck me about that was that the, the issues that the men were bringing up were not wildly different to the issues that the women on the Brilliant Women podcast had brought up, um, but coming very much from a different context of being, being a male and um, in many cases being a male clinician owner. Um, totally lost track of the months now, January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August. We're up to September. Uh, in September, I interviewed a lady called Lisa Wynn, who is, she was originally a physio. Um, I don't think she's, she practiced as a physio for about 30 years, but um, she originally was a physio. Moved into coaching. Um, initially, she says, just to try and work out why patients didn't do their exercises. <laughs> Um, but she became very intrigued by the, the world of coaching itself. I spent the last 30 years as a coach. And I wanted to talk to Lisa specifically about um, the prerequisites for successful coaching and, and when coaching actually wasn't appropriate. Um, I was obviously interested in this specifically as a coach, but also with the thought in mind that um, coaching a coaching style has become very much something uh, talked about, well thought of within the clinical world as well. Um, and the discussion with Lisa was very helpful to be honest about the fact that sometimes coaching isn't appropriate because the person isn't ready or um, the person isn't uh, oh, trying to think of the right, right word here, but... Um, there's got within if you want to apply a coaching um, approach, Lisa and I talked around the fact that the person has to be open to the fact that they do have the answers um, and want to find them and want to move forward, but also that they're in a, a psychologically and emotionally safe place to do that. Lisa talked a lot about being a safe human, and I really love that phrase. And what she meant by that was. Um, be safe enough to hear what the person needs to say, be safe enough to react appropriately and be safe enough to refer on appropriately when coaching actually isn't isn't the um, isn't the 
the type of therapy or approach that, the, that will best serve the person at this time. And this feeds very much back into that uh, interview with Susanna Pecci. So when to refer on and when not. So yeah, that one probably with Lisa's um, history as a, a clinician was more uh, more clinic based, but she she gave some really good examples, some really concrete examples about when and when not to adopt a coaching approach if you're drawn that way. Um, and then in um, October, uh, but yes. Um, Martin came back again because I found myself without a guest. So I decided in October to be my own guest. There were a few things that had come up quite a bit in coaching sessions. And I decided it would be nice to, um, to be able to talk about those. Uh, the specific things were resourcefulness as an antidote to perfectionism, accepting the unacceptable parts of you. And I talked a bit a little about what a little bit about what I described as my own uncomfortable journey with boundaries. Um, and cheerleading for self-indulgence idleness um, and my take home one of my take homes from that is that I haven't really cured the perfectionist control freak side of me because uh, I gave Martin the list of questions <laughs> told him what he was going to ask me about and then answered the question um, I hope the topics were interesting but yeah I had a little wry smile at myself there's always more work to do isn't there there's always more of your own medicines to take um, right, then the last episode that I did very recently in November, um, I had the pleasure of getting to know the wonderful Joanne Elphinstone. And um, an unashamed gush this one was, um, Joanne and I uh, had some conversation before this episode, we realised straight away that we had quite a few things in common, not least the length of our career and some of the directions that it had taken. Um, but yeah, just very much a a person to person click moment. It was, it was fantastic, fantastic opportunity to talk to someone who I have been aware of my whole career and really admired about the work she's done. Great to find out what a, a fun, inspiring, kind, warm individual as well. Um, I approached Joanne because she'd written an article for In Touch around. Um, uh, the title was Changing the Conversation, an Embodied Coaching Approach in the Clinical Session. Now, Joanne actually was a coach, um, not a life coach. I hope I'm saying this correctly, Joanne. I think it was sports coaching that she originally went into for um, uh, physiotherapy. And interestingly, Joanne also has a philosophy degree. And I think those things have all um, informed her approach as a therapist. Um, we talked about how... We talked about the power dynamic, the classic power dynamic between patient and therapist and how you can play with that. Um, lovely phrase, loosening our grip on the expert fixer identity, the gulf between informing, educating and meaningful learning. So very much where the coaching approach came in. I remember a lovely phrase in the article, um, exact words, but it was about just trusting the patient to be right about what they feel and, and trusting what they say. Um, and I think the take home for me, actually, which came from conversation, there were so many points, but one I remember and have quoted frequently since was that um, adopting a partnered approach with your patient doesn't mean withholding expertise. I think sometimes there's this idea that we're giving all the power over to the patient and just becoming this kind of 
passive bystander who occasionally makes encouraging noises and, and doesn't suggest anything. But Joanne's approach is is very much, um, you know, stay, be that safe human, hear what you need to hear, be curious, gather information, draw out from the patient um, what needs to be drawn out, support their own understanding. And then when it's appropriate, bring in your expertise, bring in that nugget of knowledge, which is just going to sort of pull it all together, move it on to the next stage, help the, the patient move forward, because at the end of the day, they have come to us as an expert um, and to go away not having received any of our expertise probably feels like a strange dynamic for the client but that doesn't mean that we can't um, do an awful lot of that partnering trust building um, almost you know, getting as much as we can getting as far as we can without teaching um, and delivering a, a, a piece of expert knowledge um, and then bringing it in at exactly the right moment so that it's you know it's it's the most powerful that that piece of expertise can be. So, a whole year of you matter. Um, I hope that whistle stop tour through all the podcasts was helpful. It was certainly nice for me to remember um, all the episodes I've done and all the lovely guests I've had. Um, that's certainly one of my the things I'm most grateful this year. The the, the amazing number of people that are happy to come on to and talk to me and the courage when they do there's always so much honesty and openness I don't particularly plan episodes beyond a few questions um, I'm always 24 episodes in 20, sorry 22 episodes in two years in I am more than willing to to trust my guests because they they always come up trumps the the stories always so fascinating they, they always have such courage in going that little bit deeper and talking about what's going on for them talking beyond the surface level which is definitely where I like to to, um, to have a conversation beyond the surface level um, I hope that's because they find you matter to be a safe place yeah. knowing that People listening are likely to be generous, thoughtful, curious like them. Um, it seems to be working well, and I'm very, very grateful to guests and to listeners alike for creating this lovely, this lovely platform. Um, moving forward, I, I'm very excited about 2023. I think interesting and exciting things are happening in our profession. I think we really are moving towards times where, you know, I, I don't think this groundswell of openness, more communication, compassion, I don't think that's a flash in the pan. I, I think that wave has gathered, gathered enough of its own momentum now, it will continue to grow. Um, but it, it needs fuel. And I think you know, these kind of conversations are, are the fuel behind that wave. I think we, we all have the the motivation and the enthusiasm, those of us that are this way inclined to to keep keep the openness and the communication and the channels open so that our profession can benefit, that, that we can all benefit from shared knowledge, from empathy, from um, stripping away you know, the, the, the things that haven't served us well in the past and 
and and being really willing to to stick together, to fail together, to succeed together, to congratulate each other, um, to work out problems together. I, I really do believe there's a there's a groundswell now that this this movement, if you like, is going to continue forward, not without challenges, of course. Um, anybody looking at this year just gone and, and looking into the future would um, would highly question um, unbridled optimism uh, about what's ahead it's it's not going to be easy but I think I really do believe that there's a there's a sufficient number of people wanting the same thing in our profession for it to to only gather strength Strength in strength and optimism in difficult times. Maybe that's the summary. All right. So all that remains for me to do on this episode is to uh, say to you, uh, I hope you, when you get there, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas and a wonderful New Year. Um, it's I'm recording this on the 29th of November, so we're just about to head into that month that can be completely taken over by preparations for Christmas and social events and things which can often feel like obligations. I spend a lot of time in coaching conversations around this time of year just reminding people that the the natural the natural uh, feeling and process at this time of year is of slowing down think of animals going into hibernation seeds staying buried in the earth it's, it's almost a, a time of inactivity but huge potential uh, the best way I can ever think of to describe the feeling of this time of year is is that feeling on a, a winter's morning when it's snowed and you open the door and you go outside for the first time everything's covered in snow and ice maybe it's early morning and you're the first out there it's completely quiet at first glance nothing's going on there's that wonderful sense of calm and peace but with huge amounts of potential underlying and I think if you can and trust me I have to listen to myself when I say this more than anybody probably if you can resist the temptation at this time of year to just push a bit harder to get through resist the temptation to push and instead go with the, the sort of the natural call to slow down to trust trust that there will be time for all these these things in the new year and just allow yourself to settle into Christmas rather than storm into it in the new year okay so there we have it another year thank you so much for listening thank you for your support thank you for being the wonderful humans that you are guests and listeners alike um let's see what 2023 brings I'm looking forward to some some more great conversations Take care, everyone. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to my end of year summary Thanksgiving episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it's reminded you of some good conversations or signposted you to some that you missed and you might want to go and catch up on. Um, please send me messages, uh, joe at mehab.co.uk. Let me know how your year's been. Let me know your highlights. Let me know what you're grateful for. And crucially, let me know if you would like to be a guest on New Matter. Uh, let me know if there are any conversations you would like me to have on New Matter next year. Um, and anything you like, I'd love to hear from you. Pop me an email. Let me know what's going on. Let me know what's in your head.
right and finally and especially at this time of year if you are a busy clinician mum daughter dad son friend colleague human pet owner if you are any of and all of those things being all things to everyone all day every day then resist the temptation to push down slow down breathe Joe, listen to yourself. Joe, listen to yourself. Breathe because you matter. Thank you.